So today we're talking about She-Ra, but we're also talking more than usual about anime. Yes. Which is a weakness of mine culturally. And I admit it is a weakness, but I bet it's not for a lot of our listeners. And I know it's not for Lauren. Well, it is a weakness in the sense that I love it so much that sometimes I just cry. (laughs) (laughs) So what? All right. Before we get into uh, gushing over our incredible guest, what are the animes Maybe anime itself is plural. What are the anime that make you cry the most? That make me cry the most? Oh, um, well, it's kind of a spoiler because it's definitely Cowboy Bebop, which we're about to explore in a big, big way. Uh, Spoiler alert for Cowboy Bebop, I guess, if you haven't watched it before. But um, the end of the series, basically everyone dies. Uh, Julia, the like lost love of our main character, Spike, dies and Spike himself dies. And I cry at the end every time. Tenchi Muyo makes me cry, though, too. Um, the, the initial run of it, the um, first, like, miniseries, because Ryoko is a demon character who basically is all-powerful and can do whatever she wants and live however long she likes, and at the end she comes back to live with Tenchi again, and that makes me cry, too. Oh. I've only seen one anime all the way through, and this was last year. I watched Yuri on Ice. Yeah, more recent was, stuff. The di- kids will love to hear that. That was delightful. I really, really liked it, uh, but I, I certainly am no anime master. Well, maybe after today you will be, because we're about to meet someone who can tell you a lot about the genre. Let's find out <laughs> now. <laughs> right after the theme song. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. I am Eric. And even though you've already heard a couple of our episodes, this is technically the first time we are in the studio since the new season, season four, dropped on Netflix. So some of you have clearly binged it all. Uh, Some of us in the room have binged it all. Yeah, I haven't. I'm not there yet. So um, like we said on the last episode, we promise to keep this spoiler free for all of you, no matter where you are in the uh, season. Well, we are, of course, spoiling the episode we're talking about, and I'll previous episodes so really if if you're if you're this far in the season you're fine we're spoiling you up to and through episode two of season four correct and to help us spoil that uh, (laughs) we have a really wonderful guest on the line someone that uh, i i think i don't want to point any fingers but i think that maybe certain people in the room are especially excited to talk to given uh their history in the industry but let's introduce everybody, voice director of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Yay! Okay. Hello, hello. Yes, um, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. I am the huge fan of Mary's because <laughs> I, am, I had a feeling. <laughs> I, I don't know in, what it was, but just had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, some things that were set off mic uh, in that uh, I was definitely an anime teen Watching a lot of Mary's work on like Toonami on Cartoon Network when I still lived with my parents, uh, and still now, let's be honest, still now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I I just I would have loved anime, and I just wasn't exposed to it. It just so. missed you. It did. It just missed me, which is a real shame because I know that I would have been right there with you if I had watched it. So when you were like fifteen, what were you watching? When I was fifteen, I was watching the um, WB um, superhero series, like Batman Beyond was oh. a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I didn't have cable, so it was it was broadcast TV for me. 
Now, that was directed by the amazing and incomparable Andrea Romano, and she is, uh, there's just nobody better in the business at doing this than her, and she has been my idol forever, and that got me back into watching animation again, actually. Uh, I think I was working up at Universal Studios at the time, and I would drive by, uh, yeah, drive by Warner Brothers, and they would have the logo for uh, for Batman on the side of the building, and I was, I think I actually ended up getting that uh, uh, airbrushed on the back of a denim jacket that I still have and wear because I was so obsessed with the show. You know, listening to Mark Hamill as Joker and Kevin Conroy as Batman, it was just... It was something else. That, it was amazing. That like, era of airbrushed art is such a specific look, and I'm picturing it in my mind right now. If you have any evidence of what that garment looks like, please share it with us. <laughs> Sounds oh, I feel like I'll, I'll tweet it to you, or I'll, I'll put it up on Twitter. Oh, thank goodness. Made my day already. Well, interview over. I'm satisfied. Now, that was really fortuitous that talking about something that I watched <laughs> as a kid bridged to the beginning of, of your career in, in voice. So... Yeah, yeah. You've, you've been doing this for I think twenty years now, right? If if Wikipedia has not lied to me, um, yeah, I think I have. It started. I mean, uh, it's funny because I was working up at Universal at the time, and I was still doing uh, some on camera stuff, being saved by everybody from Scott Bakula to Angela Lansbury. And I was <laughs> uh, went to New Zealand to, which I just got back from last week. Oh, I was cool. at Armageddon Expo, which was amazing. Thank you, everybody out there. Uh, for coming to say hi, and it was wonderful. Um, I was doing Xena out there, and I got hurt on sets. The horse I was being hanged on reared up and fell on top of me and dislocated my kneecap. Holy so smokes. I came back to L.A., and I couldn't do the Beetlejuice show anymore, which is what I was doing at the time. So a friend of mine recommended me to uh, Magnitude 8 uh, and uh, Zero Limit Productions, and I started doing voiceover in anime. I think The Wanderers, uh, El Hazard, was one of the first things I ever did. And then a couple of years later, I just kept working for them, and they were sort of known for hiring female directors. They had too many shows and not enough directors. So Yutaka Maseba and Kevin Seymour gave me a call and said, uh, we've got this show, and uh, do you want to try directing? And I went, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to, but I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I had no idea. What I was doing, I mean, I directed, I think, Lone Star in, in college, but I'd never directed anything. So uh, they gave me Cowboy Bebop, which I still can't believe. And uh, since I didn't know what I was doing, I uh, I just, and we never thought, like at that time, I don't think, back in 1998 or 97, I don't think they knew, or there was no uh, show, uh, no, uh, sorry, um, uh, station on, on television that was actually showing anime. So we're just like, well, nobody's ever going to see this, which really <laughs> sucks. This is gorgeous. This is some of the best animation, the best soundtrack, the best characters I've ever seen in anime. So screw it. Let's just make it for us. Well, and we of... did. And we changed the style of anime, uh, of, of acting. Uh, we used a much more cinematic, naturalistic style because it really seemed to fit uh the series so that was kind of it we started off doing that and it was my first time working with steve bloom and uh i was so in love with steve's voice and as spike that i was like i'm playing julia i don't care if she sounds like Minnie mouse i am going to play julia just so 
I could be a part of that. And uh, now Steve and I are engaged to be married, so that's kind of awesome. what. I'm glad you said that because I was on the I'm on the mic right now, turning actually red because I wanted to ask you like, and now you're together, right? That's still a thing, right? So thank goodness for sharing that. Yes, <laughs> it is still quite the thing. <laughs> Congratulations. That That is so cool. And it, it's funny because Cowboy Bebop is the anime that people tell me, if you just watch this, you'll fall in love. And I, I have no doubt. So, again, small yeah. world. We're all, we're all thinking on the same wavelength here. I, I really appreciate that. Well, point the first, yeah. Julia. Julia is a minor character, but she's my favorite character on the series. I'm so into her that um, right now I'm custom painting an action figure of her because uh, I what? don't. Yes. So... I have this thing where I feel like every statue or figure of Julia that has ever come out, like, didn't do it right. Her hair is always too yellow. So I li- yes! Yeah. And so I literally have a, like, unpainted sort of um, kit at home that I'm painting on my own. So she'll actually look right. <laughs> because okay, no one's ever done it right before. Tweet me a picture of it when you're done. I will. I will. That means so much to me. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, how vindicated do you feel right now? Uh, very, because I have I have strong opinions about very minuscule things like action figure hair, and to know that someone's who uh, someone whose opinion really matters on it says that's true. Very vindicated. Do you want to just not talk about Shira and talk about anime all day? Let's talk about just just specifically Cowboy Bebop. So I'm even thinking of this right now. So just like Shira was rebooted on Netflix, Bebop is getting that treatment too. It'll be live action. I know, I know. Unfortunately, John Cho had an accident uh, where he hurt his knee, and he's. Uh, but they've they've just. Well, I think they're just holding a production for about seven months. I read um, that. Which I was afraid they really believe in him, so they're going to stick with him. And I'm so glad because I love the casting. So uh, I can't wait to see what they do with it. I hope it's not identical to Bebop. I hope it's it's almost like what the the remake of it or the movie mm. it did was keep it in that world and honor everything about the book, but remake it enough or modernize it enough that it's uh, it reaches out to the next generation of people, you know? For sure. Well, and I don't know how you could do something like that exact. I mean, if you think of things like Radical Edward or Cowboy Mm -hmm. Andy, some of that stuff gets really surreal. And I think it'll actually be a big challenge to translate it over. So um, my house words should be, I did not want to like this. And then I saw that cast and I, I loved it. So I'm really hoping it goes well. Yeah, but see, for me, it's, it's the same with like the Ghost in the Shell movie. Anything that, that puts a highlight on the original material, I think is a great thing. And it brings, you know, it'll force, or hopefully it'll uh, make people want to, to watch the series and get back into it because it's so good. And it's, it's still last. It was really our job not to screw it up. I mean, that was my biggest fear. I was like, this show is so good. And I just hope that we don't mess it up. Well, so. that, that does that does sort of bring me to a question that's more relevant to Shira. Um, when you have a pre-made property like an anime, there there's clearly already voice acting choices that were made by somebody else. How mm-hmm. how does doing that sort of voice directing for Shira or just American animation differ from the anime process? Well, with Shira, which was so fun because I I, I do. 
remember seeing the original, um, and I didn't watch it before I started directing it. I just sort of remembered it, and uh, and everyone. It was such a different style, and the story that Noel uh, was spearheading and developing was so completely different that for me it was just like, well, you can't really compare the two because it's so completely different and modern and goofy and wacky and like we would encourage Amy to do, you know, snort when you laugh, make her awkward, uh, make this hero that is normally just, you know, everyone sort of a Superman type of, of character. Let's make her awkward and goofy and funny and uh, reachable so that when all of these things happen to her, you really feel for her. You're going along this journey with her as opposed to sort of putting her up on a pedestal. I think She-Ra is probably the most relatable superhero out there and, uh, for women. I'm going to get railed for that one. Uh, no, but she really this, that's is. what our show is about. That's Lean the point it. of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the, 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 the Marvel Universe has put some incredible uh, uh, characters out there that do have that sense of vulnerability and everything else. But what Amy did and what we encouraged her to do uh, like we took all the awkward takes. We, we took everything, like make it goofy, make it silly, uh, make it you. And she did. So, and Noel was keen for that, which I was thrilled with. Uh, so, and we let everybody play to their awkward strengths, which I think is kind of an amazing thing and not something that we're usually allowed to do. Even in life, you know, we're supposed to be proper and everything else, or at least we used to be. And now <laughs> it's like encouraging you to just fly your freak flag high, you know? Well, and something we hear a lot about uh, the recording process of she that I think you can speak to is that it's really magical because all of the actors tend to be in one room, which is not necessarily the case with animation. So do you feel a sense of like alchemy when you get all those um, talents together, you know, and they are incredible talents? Absolutely. It's lightning in a bottle, especially when you get, you know, AJ and Amy and Karen and Marcus all in the same room together. It's amazing it's so much fun and you really feel like they're solidifying their relationships you can see it happening it's it's really fantastic otherwise it's up to me to sort of uh which i love to do i love acting with the actors uh i i will read you know when we were doing the original record uh i would read all the parts uh outside of what they were recording or around them so i would try and approximate the performance that marcus gave of his bow for Karen, she was doing Glimmer and vice versa. I mean, it's uh, so I, I ended up doing impersonations, <laughs> at least in terms of uh, style, not the voices necessarily, except for Entrapta. I would always, uh, Christine, I would always go, science, just because it made me laugh so hard. Uh, she, she's amazing. I'm shaking my head and, and Eric's pointing at me because I had this theory for so long that Entrapta's voice was based on Washu from Tenchi Muyo. And like, oh. and hearing, <laughs> I don't you, know. hearing I don't you do know. that that's right now, I was like, uh, I really think that's true. <laughs> that was Christine. When she came in, that was all her. She auditioned that and we didn't tweak it hardly at all. In fact, at times we would uh, push it further or uh, pull it back some, but that was all Christine. She's just amazing. It was such a bold choice and I just love, love, love. Entrapta and what she's brought to it. 
Well, and to be fair, like the nasally scientist is a trope. I don't think anyone can like take credit for inventing it. So if it's if it's Washu and it's Entrapta, it still makes sense. That's kind of a common choice. We did meet. Yeah. We did meet Amy though. Um, we interviewed Amy a few episodes ago, and I was so floored by how much just Amy Carrero as a person that we were talking to sounds like Adora and Adora sounds mm-hmm. like Amy. And I think that plays into exactly what you're saying. You and your team have allowed them to just be themselves in a way that I'm not sure I've experienced before. And so yeah. it's incredible. You said some things about uh, She-Ra being a really relatable heroine for women, and I was looking through sort of your resume, and you have the new Star Wars cartoons on there. You've done some work with Steven Universe. Um, Mm -hmm. Just sort of vamp a little bit, if you would, on how modern animation, I mean, do you think it's better for diverse audiences? Do you think it's a a better influence on young women than it was earlier in your career? Or is it just different? I think it's progressing. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's definitely now more, uh, for me anyway, relatable. Um, And there's still there's still what's great about animation is there's so many different styles. There are shows that have been going on forever, like The Simpsons. uh, And but in terms of storytelling, what Noelle has tapped into, uh, and the writers, Josie and everybody else, the writers have really tapped into the young voice uh, and the what it is to be that age and to go through it and to, even though it's in a magical other world uh, setting, what these guys are going through is absolutely real and, and, and completely relatable in terms of what young people, and even when I was growing up, the same kind of things of uh, friendships coming together, falling apart, uh, female rivalry, which actually I've never really seen uh, in animation. So I think She-Ra is, is, has uh, explored a new side of Women and it's and it's a new way of uh, and not only women obviously men uh, and and all genders actually it's kind of amazing with our new character of, of double trouble they really are something new I think uh, that we're seeing in animation so Shira is opening the door for more and more diversity and I think that's a wonderful thing. How appropriate that we're going to later discuss Double Trouble's debut episode. This is this is such a good episode to have you on, and it kind of worked out by accident because we've got Double Trouble and Gina Davis in the Valley of the Lost. So, oh, I know it's so good, and I play the mayor in that episode. Oh, that's right. Yes. Well, you're also you're also that goat character is, who doesn't have a name. Is the character still just called Horned Goon? <laughs> Horned Goon, HG baby. <laughs> I. Uh... I'm thrilled that they just let that be the name. Okay. Hello. Sorry to interrupt, uh, but we're not from around here. I'm. We're hoping someone would give us directions. You're outsiders. Uh, yeah. I guess we are. We don't like outsiders here. And since the Crimson Waste didn't take care of you, we will. <gasps> So today we are discussing the second episode of season four, Valley of the Lost. As I mentioned, this is a great episode to have Mary Elizabeth on for. Um, I'll insert a recap when we don't have a guest on the line. She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, season four, episode two, The Valley of the Lost. 
Glimmer sends Adora, Perfuma, Bo, and Huntara to retrieve Mara's spaceship, but the Horde beats them to it. Catra meets Double Trouble, a shapeshifter. How you... fun is it? To say, I think my, one of my favorite moments is, is right at the top of the episode. Is It's seeing Huntara in Bright Moon. It just makes me laugh. You know, I mean, there's this tough, uh, weathered, huge woman uh, beast, and she's sitting, you know, in, in, the, in the war room or in the th- at Bright Moon. It just makes me laugh so much. I love that opposition there. Well, she brings such weight, I mean, physically to that room, but I think the voice of Gina Davis also just brings such weight to the show. That that voice is so iconic and has such gravity. I was watching her literally last night in Glow as well, and she's just such an, an icon, and I was very surprised, honestly, that she ended up on this show. Um, what can you tell us about Sign like how how did she become a part of this process? Uh, I think Noel requested her from from mem- if memory serves, which it rarely does. But I remember saying, "Who's going to play Huntara?" And Noel said, "I've asked Regina Davis." I was like, wow! Oh God, really amazing. You know, because she's been I've been a fan of hers forever, and she's again such a, an iconic female presence on all different sides. And uh, of, I guess, portraying so many different kinds of women and uh, for her to play Hantara, which is, you know, I, just the polar opposite of, of, gosh, you know, I think back, she was in Tootsie, if you remember, she was in Tootsie, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she was just this bright, young, innocent, you know, and now years later, she's playing this big, hulking you know, wall of a woman walking around in in this world of ours. And I just, she was amazing to work with. And what's great is that it's a very nuanced performance. It's not, uh, like, normally you would think, Hattaro would be, you know, have a voice that was much bigger. But there's so much nuance to what she brought to the table. And it was really, really fun uh, to play around with her. It was great. Plus she taught us archery, which was sort of amazing. So that was great. No way. <laughs> yeah, at the end, because she uh, tried out for the Olympic team or was training to uh, be on the Olympic team as an archer because it's one of the few events that has no, uh, that you can sort of do in uh, at, at any age, as it were. So, you know, I mean, uh, to go up against these young athletes would be sort of impossible in most of the events, but archery, you could definitely get in there and do it. So, uh, so I asked her about it, and she's like, "All right, so we work on the stance, you know." And she's sitting there, you know, you hold it here and you pull back, and you've got to keep a steady arm and the elbow uh, down. And I, it was just sort of amazing. It was really fun to be taught archery from one of my heroes. It was sort of fantastic. That's out of this world. What, what <laughs> yeah. a cool story. Does that type of adventure happen on most shows? you work on or is this one unique um no i mean there are there are uh, i don't uh that was a unique one for sure (laughs) but uh there's definitely been other encounters with other uh people that you know you just sort of think how is this my life how did i how did i end up here and i'm so grateful (laughs) it's very very uh astounding to me yeah, it seems yeah. seems not too shabby. 
<laughs> uh, so Hantara, joyously back in this episode, I was so happy she made it into season four. And she is paired this time with Perfuma, which I, I oh. just thought was absolutely delightful. That is uh, Genesis Rodriguez. I, I believe I have that correct. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. They this were... is so wonderful. And she is, again, we, we've really played into the strengths of our actors because Genesis is that sweet and wonderful and positive and it's just an amazing dichotomy between the, the, the these two characters it was i just loved it i loved it and i loved that hantara had to get soft and encouraging which is against her type to get perfuma strong and confident which is against her type so it's just it's a great balance in this episode to see each of them reaching a new level uh, inside themselves to bring out the strength in each other. It's it's a wonderful pairing. Absolutely. Hantara and uh, Perfuma in this episode bring across what I think is one of the major themes, which is the, the power of words or the power of names, you know, what people call you. And at the beginning of the episode, uh, you know, we hear Huntara calling Adora soft and Huntara's calling Perfume a flower girl. And yeah. they, they, by the end, kind of as you already said, they learn, Perfuma especially learns to be strong and powerful based on who she is and she's kind of proud of being a flower girl and that's where her strength lies and Huntara learns that you have to maybe adapt your teaching style or adapt your friendship style to encourage and support others around you you know name calling and I don't want to say bullying like that but it doesn't it didn't work in this situation and everyone sort of grew together by the end and I think one of the nice messages of this episode is making sure that no matter what you feel on the inside, that if you care about someone and you support someone, uh, you're you're saying so on the outside in a in a nurturing and positive way. Just good yeah. friendship lessons. Oh. Yeah, it really is, and it's also interesting that those words that are used to bully you with are actually your strengths, and you should play to them. That's true. <laughs> I, I'm on record as uh, Perfumo being my favorite princess, so I was delighted that she got uh, a spotlight. I think this is her biggest episode since her debut in season one, and it was very <laughs> satisfying, I think, to see her. So I'm a big, as you might have garnered, DC Comics fan, and she goes like full Swamp Thing in the end with like this control over all the vegetation, and oh, that was so cool. Lauren, she's like the Cragheart that we play in Gloomhaven. Yeah. Well, I don't anymore. Mine retired. Mine too. Oh. Lauren and I played the same character in a fantasy game out of like 20 different characters, and then they both retired. Just some backstory if you haven't been listening the whole time. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Mary, Mary plays some tabletop, right? Because you got to do Critical Role. I sure did. Yeah, I did. Man, that was so much fun. And subsequently, I was I was just on D and D Beyond looking at my character sheet for my home for my homebrew character Illyria Illyria Blue, who is negative two charisma, uh, and um, <laughs> and I miss playing. We uh, our our DM is was uh, off doing some movies and uh, just had a baby, so we're hoping to get back to it soon. Amazing. Uh, next time you're in Chicago, please let me know. I have a really cool place to play D&D that will be open next time you're here. So, Oh, absolutely. Yes. yes. 
So one of the another just weird coincidence having to do with our guest today, uh, previous guest of the show, Katie, the one who talked to us about uh, Disney and coding and Hufflepuff, uh, all the all the things I remember about that episode. Katie was doing an exercise on social media months back. She's a big Critical Role fan, and she said, "Whoever replies to my post, I'm going to tell you which Critical Role character I think you are." And I've never, ever, ever gotten into Critical Role. And I was like, use this to introduce me to this show. Match me up with a character. Who am I? And I'll look into it. And it was Mary's character. It was Zara. It was Zara. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Wild, right? Just saying. Yeah. All, your, all your dreams are coming true today. <laughs> all my favorite characters <laughs> just come back to this one person. <laughs> oh, my God. We're linked. <laughs> so to to the point about Perfuma, um, she glows green in this episode, kind of like uh, all of the princesses at one point did together, throwing their uh, big rainbow energy. I, pre- I, I passively a couple episodes ago was saying, I wonder if they're going to be able to use these powers at will now based on the freaking YouTube video that I watched. And yeah, yeah, they are rad. But it seems like it's like it comes out in times of like dire need or exertion, you know? Yeah, it's like the ultimate attack. Yeah, very anime. It is very anime. I I also think it's it's ultimate confidence. You know, I think when Mm. you have that level of confidence and belief in yourself, as she did in that moment, that that's when she really taps into the full extent of her power. And it's easy at that point, you know? And I'm glad we got to see her be so powerful in this episode because this was one of the episodes where I was not very impressed by She-Ra herself. They're cornered by like three people in an alley and She-Ra really doesn't deliver. <laughs> they just sort of disappear. Uh, they flee. And every now and then I'm like, She-Ra, you're, just punch everything. You're stronger than this. I, want her, I always want her to be more than she is because I'm still stuck in the 80s version of this show when She-Ra yeah, was the she only force. Yeah, she just got this power. She just became <laughs> She-Ra. This is still new for her. She's still discovering stuff. I mean, even in that episode, she's just like, I am now going to wear, this is how I'm going to carry my sword. Like, she's still discovering all of her strength and her power. That and is And I true. think the journey is, is that that's, well, that is the journey. And, and as we go along and watch it happen and, and watch her develop these powers and become confident in them that that's really the key to to all of this and 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 the key to the storytelling is is her journey it's not about she's not already there this is the story that we're telling is this is how she is actually uh learning how to use all of this and learning how to be a better friend and and uh a better ethereum you know as as she goes along and subsequently we get the stories of everybody else learning from her or learning with her at the same time and that's sort of Perfuma's journey in this episode. I actually weirdly thought that She-Ra in this episode was channeling her 80s self because it's very 80s to have the character be like I'm going to punch rocks. Yeah. Because in the 80s they couldn't hit people so they were like what can He-Man do? Uh, He can throw a rock. So that's what (laughs) She-Ra does in the finale. She throws rocks. I thought that was cool. No you're absolutely right. Also to the point of everyone sort of still learning their powers there's a lot of power upgrades that are happening in this season. I mean, even Bo says his his 
pad, his like touchpad is upgraded now in this episode. But Glimmer seems to have basically unlimited teleports now. Uh, and so everyone is learning, I think, along with Shira to come into their power. Absolutely. I mean, these are kids. These are kids that are now just starting to, you know, Glimmer is now the queen of Bright Moon and she does have unlimited access to the moon or to to her stone at this point. So um, it's yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens and where they go with it. And this episode, definitely speaking of Glimmer, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but we certainly see this notion here that she's maybe not the happiest uh, being sidelined to do queenly duties. So yeah, she's missing out. Yeah. So I would watch that if I were, if I were following along with our episodes, maybe pay attention to that trend. It's pretty light here. Like it's played for comedy, but you know, we'll see how that develops probably as the season goes on. Probably. Probably. Who can say? Who can say? (laughs) I can't say. (laughs) Did you seriously hang up on me? Yeah, but, just because we were running from the Horde, and now we're hiding from the Horde. Also, the Horde has Mars ship. <laughs> Sorry. We totally have it under control. Really? This is so cool. A dire situation, odds against us. I can't believe I'm missing this for a dumb meeting. Okay, hang tight. I'm on my way. Wait, 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 Glimmer, don't. We can't wait for Glimmer. The Horde's probably going to take the ship or whatever they can get from it back to the Fright Zone. Of course, the real news-making thing in this episode that we kind of already touched on is the introduction of a new character, a non-binary character, which, if not a first in animation, I can't remember a character being celebrated like this before, certainly. Uh, This is Double Trouble's debut. Yes, it is, Jacob. They are so (laughs) amazing. I, I am continually, every time they come into the booth... Jacob blows me away. So much fun, so much fun to work with. Uh, it, director's dream because there's there's never ego involved. It's just you know how do you want me to do it, darling? And we'll just go through and experiment and explore and find again, uh, build up their confidence so that. I mean, there's nothing that stifles creativity more than fear. And being in a huge booth is pretty intimidating, especially when you're looking through the glass at a whole bunch of people in there sort of staring at you or staring at a script while you're reading. And uh, it was such a joy to work with them. Jake, it was just amazing and so much fun. I thought of you specifically watching this episode and how fun your job must be particularly because Jacob gets to act like other characters and then other characters get to act like Jacob. We see That's the most fun. Yeah, that we was see so much AJ having Michalka. AJ sort of do the lilt, uh, Jacob's lilt to this, oh darling, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of this dripping, beautifully fluid, uh, confident way of speaking was just and playful and sassy and it was awesome to see that happen and uh and so much fun for aj to do it was great we would play uh some of jacob's lines that we'd already recorded and uh and then she would match that uh the cadence which was just so much fun and double trouble is such a ham and i I imagine it must be a full joy to direct and watch that be enacted like just such fun yeah yeah absolutely i mean because What's amazing is that Double Trouble is really just all Double Trouble wants is obviously money and uh, to be a better actor. 
You know, I mean, it's the right. most important thing is uh, applause, critique, and uh, really honing a character, getting in to the character. I, I, I love the idea of it's not just putting on uh, the facade, as it were. You have to dig deep and really sink into the characters that you're portraying to make them believable. It's just so great. It's it's so fun to have it. A character comment on acting when that's exactly what the actor who's acting the character is doing. It's, yeah, it's such a clever thing. I loved it. I think Double Trouble is going to be historic and valuable to animation in a lot of ways. Uh, we do so much talking on this show about what a positive influence Shira and the Princesses of Power will be on young people. But I actually find myself thinking about parents and grandparents watching a show that so readily uses they, them pronouns and shows diversity. So not to put my own parents on blast, but they really, really (laughs) struggle with they, them pronouns. I have several friends, including the person I'm seeing right now, who use they, them. And they, mm-hmm. they they unfortunately still see it as some sort of like phase or joke. And, you know, they're getting there. They're trying. And watching a show where even Hordak is perfectly capable of using they, them pronouns, I, I have yeah. to imagine that even for the, the parents and grandparents watching this show, it's going to be such an important step. So normalizing and, and healthy. Yeah. And for me, too. You know, it's uh, it was... It's an amazing thing. It's 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 a wonderful thing, and I'm so glad that everyone involved with the show, including DreamWorks and Mattel, that everybody has embraced it. And I think that's fantastic. The fact that you said Mattel there, I think, is is pretty amazing. Lauren and I have talked a lot about this idea of like, should we laud you know for profit companies for for doing social justicey things? And ultimately, it, it there always is some kind of profit motive. But you can at least say, well. They are doing a cool thing here. And even if it is purely profit motivated, that means that somewhere along the line, someone decided it it is better for them to embrace things like this. And that's also a good sign. So, yeah. 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 Thumbs up all around. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's, oh, there's so much I want to talk about that I can't, but, uh, <laughs> we'll talk in the future. Okay. That would we be, look forward to that'd it. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, um, what else do, do – is there anything else you want to call out about this episode, Lauren? I want to call out just just the general blanket statement that Catcher is so abusive towards Scorpia again. And I'm not going to get too far ahead of where we're watching now because we're keeping it spoiler-free. But uh, Scorpia just breaks my heart this season over her willingness to – completely forgive Katra over and over and even in some instances sort of gaslight herself like the hurtful things Katra says and does uh, Scorpia just maybe she didn't mean it we're still best friends I'm sure of it it just kills me and uh, from reading even just the episode titles I know we're going to address it later but we start seeing the seeds of that here Scorpia believes in the goodness of people and I think she lives in that place all the time. There's got to be some good in people, and she will, she will believe that, and until well, she's 
I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see how long and if she will continue to believe that. Um, but that's a part of who she is. And to see someone like Katra, who is so damaged. Oh, she's so damaged. She just breaks my heart. Um, it's, uh, I, I, I can't talk about it, but it's, it's just what AJ brings to Katra and what Lauren brings to Scorpia. It's, it's heartbreaking and beautiful. And, um, and I just can't wait for you guys to see where it goes. On a note of levity though, I really thought it was great how quickly Scorpia thought that Hordak had cloned her and that double trouble <laughs> as Scorpia yes. was merely a Scorpia clone. I know. It's just amazing. It's just, just amazing. Uh, but you know, this whole show and, and now it's sort of talk about it out loud it really has to do with confidence and i'm just keep coming back to it because uh even scorpia has no confidence at all you know i mean she's she's the she, she's so strong and big and powerful and yet she her confidence is it's the complete opposite of that you know she's just you know it's like yeah our family gave up this this the stone you know, once Hordak came in, and I never really had a connection to it anyway, so I'm, I'm not really a princess. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, it just breaks my heart. <laughs> and something we talked about with, with uh, Amy is, you know, some early fan response was like, well, when I say fan, I mean fan of the classic property, was like, well, I don't know that we should be showing kids heroes who haven't figured themselves out you know and it's like i i think that's what kids need to see like because no absolutely right no wonderful to know that you're not alone that you're no you don't have it all figured out and to realize that nobody else does either it's such a relief because that means we can all work together to try and figure it out you know and figure ourselves out and Otherwise, gosh, could you imagine? It's just such a burden to sit there and just like, and, and just to think that I'm completely alone. Everybody else has got their shit together and I am a mess. And, uh, and to know that you're not alone, that everybody else is going through the exact same thing in their own way. I mean, I think it really helps to take the edge off of anxiety, uh, a bit anyway, of, of feeling that you are alone and that you can actually, you know, reach out to people and just say, man, I'm messed up or whatever. I need help and, and come together and, and build friendships around that, which is what I think she is all about as well. I mean, these are really, uh, people who should have all the confidence in the world and yet they don't. And I think that's a very realistic place and that's very, re you know, uh, representative of where we are and where I think humanity's always kind of been. It's just, we're, we're a bit of a mess and it's, it's <laughs> nice to acknowledge it <laughs> and that it's okay to acknowledge it because then, uh, it lets the air out of the balloon and, and you can start to work on it yeah, without that fear. You're making me realize that almost all the media I love has a similar theme of like broken people making their own families with each other. Whether it's like Community yeah. or Star Trek Deep Space Nine or like the Transformers comic I loved or She-Ra, it's, it's in everything. Yeah. And it's life. Look, we're all, we are all on the island of misfit toys. We are all misfit toys. So, uh, and that's wonderful. I think it's amazing. I, I appreciate this. We didn't get into politics much this episode at all, but I just appreciate this notion of like portraying honesty 
portraying honestly the human experience. Um, so yep. much argument in politics these days is like, are you being civil? Are you being tolerant? While we see certain political figures not be civil or not be tolerant. And it's just a like breath of fresh air to say, no, actually, we're all really struggling out here and we don't have to pretend that it's anything other than what it is. And that's important to see in this time. Yeah, it is because there's so much facade, there's so much lying going on. There's just, it's, uh, it seems the gates of, of, have been opened in terms of, of anger and fear and hatred and it's all rising to the top. And I'm hoping that it is, it's rising to the top so that it can be scraped off and, uh, and that we can come together to try and fix stuff and fix things and fix each other. And, and, you know, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how I feel about yeah. what's going on right now. And, uh, and we have to be vocal about it. You know, we've got to be vocal and we, we can't just sit back and say, oh, it'll, it'll fix itself because it won't. You know, it's it's like we have to fix it and we have to be strong enough to stand up to the bullies and stand up to the liars and say, no, this is the truth. And it's right here. And it's not an opinion. This is the truth. And you have to recognize it. And if not, you've got you to go. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. So we need to and we're starting to fight. You know, I mean, it's just it's what's really also really interesting about Shira is that and we haven't talked about politics and uh, this is not anything political necessarily, but it's, we started this just before the election and there were moments in the booth uh, that were rough. That were really rough. At one point, I think Noelle had gone back in and written uh, something for Amy, for she, you know, Adora to say, it's just like, and you know, and we are stronger together. And at that point, Amy broke down, I broke down, Noelle, everybody were just like, oh, it's so exhausting uh, and heartbreaking that, that this is where we are. And yet we're here for a reason because we're here. So maybe the reason is to, is to come together and and fix it, you know, and get rid of this awful, awful hatred and, and lies and, and anger. You know, the Beatles had it right. All you need is love. So you got to do something about it. And we are. So, and we do it through creating things like She-Ra uh, to let people know that they're not alone and that we all have these fears and anxieties and that it's okay. And you can talk about it and uh, you can be different and different is good. So be, be you, you know, be you, be strong. Absolutely. And I, I think results are happening. You know, the more honest we get to be as a nation about saying we're in pain right now, we have problems right now, we want to do something about them. We just had another series of elections and there's big Democratic motion in Kentucky and Indiana, in Virginia, that woman who uh, flipped off the president's motorcade just won a local election. And uh, in Tucson, where my best friend lives, Tucson, Arizona, just got its first female and Latina mayor. And so by finally putting media out into the world that acknowledges we have power and should do something with it, I think it actually does make change. So thank you for being such a big part of this show. Well, it's, it's 
I was just tweeted Noel today. I was just like, can never thank her enough. You know, it's funny because I think we got the job. I got the job because we were both playing Tiefling Warlocks at the time. And when I went in to interview with her, uh, she's just like, and actually everybody else in the room, we just started talking D and D because <clears throat> she's like, I'm a Tiefling Warlock. I was like, oh my god, I'm a Tiefling Warlock, and blah 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 blah, because I had just started Critical Role, and it was. I'm pretty sure that's why I got the job. Well, the world is better for it. Certainly, Lauren and I are better for it. So. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this is truly wonderful oh, it's my pleasure thank you for getting our voices out there and getting your voices out there to, to talk about it because it's a wonderful show and the message that we're conveying and, and spreading out there is is strong and uh, and positive and it's just wonderful to have people like you two uh uh, getting it out there as well. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. Hey, you've mentioned your Twitter a couple of times. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they want to read that good, good stuff? Uh, at Mary E. McGlynn. Mary Elizabeth McGlynn was too long, so I had to <laughs> shorten it a little bit. So it's at Mary E. McGlynn. Awesome. Well, I, yeah, I think I think then that uh, brings us to the part where we say good night. So thank you again. Um, we would love to talk to you again as the show reaches its ending. And please let us know if you're in Chicago. Yes, I definitely will. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Tweet us pictures of your cool Batman jacket. I'll tweet you pictures of my Julia action figure because we're friends now. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I can't wait to see it. Listen to your Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>